I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Molly, thank you for bringing a bottle to pop today. <laughs> I did. I did. I brought Sarah a bottle to congratulate her for being on um, Listers 40 Under 40 for this year oh, for Mr. Hey. Business Journal. Thank you. Congratulations. I was, yeah, really surprised that they recognized a public school teacher. I thought that was really cool, but I think a lot of it had to do with the work I've done with the Worcester Public Library and then also the work that we've been doing together. So as a podcaster. Yeah. What a wacky world. <laughs> so we we have two guests today who are going to tell us all about the women's suffrage centennial. Um, could you both introduce yourselves and tell us what your role is? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us this afternoon. I'm Yafa Fain. I'm with the city's culture division. I've been helping coordinate the programming happening with the Worcester, Cele- Worcester Celebration, um, and I'm excited to be here. Hi, and I'm Ann Sadik. I am the Director of Development at the Worcester Historical Museum, and I have a very close um, interest and connection to this exciting project. Um, As a woman who graduated many years ago from Mount Holyoke College, I've always had an interest in empowering women, and um, this sounded like a great project to get involved with, not only because of my personal interest, but because the museum is going to um, have a landmark exhibit called Pretty Powerful, 100 Years of Voting in Style. And we were going to have that launch on October 29th, but because of the pandemic, it will be in April of 2021. And so we are thrilled to partner with the City of Worcester and Cultural Coalition to um, present this program. Excellent. Well, I was hoping you could start by just telling us what makes the the 19th Amendment so significant to Worcester's history. Both the first and second National Women's Rights Conventions were held in Worcester in 1850 and 1851 at Brinley Hall, which was located at 340 Main Street, now where the Commerce um, Building stands. And that was 70 years before women won the right to vote. The organizers of that event were Lucy Stone, who was from uh, Brookfield, and Abby Kelly Foster from Worcester. And that first convention had over 2,000 people from 13 states. And Worcester was thought to be the perfect location because it was known as a transportation hub. Other speakers that were there included Sojourner Truth, Lucretia Mott, Frederick Douglass, and Ernestine Rose. And, you know, I, I, I think what's really important also is that this centennial celebration is also significant for Worcester and cities and towns throughout the United States because thousands of women in Worcester, in Massachusetts, and throughout the nation fought for women's rights during a flu pandemic, right, in 1918, and also during a world war. And that the power of one vote was evidenced 100 years ago, yesterday, so that would have been August 18th, 1920, where 35 of the 36 states that were needed to um, ratify the vote, um, Tennessee was the very last state and um, where there was viable hope for, for passage. And it came down to one vote that tipped the scale by Harry T. Burns, who was a 24-year-old state representative, and he had a um, 
a letter in his pocket from his mother <laughs> urging him to vote for suffrage. And so he, he was that one vote. And it just goes to show us, you know, practice your right. Every vote counts. Wow. Um, I had no idea that those first two conventions took place in Worcester. That's kind of amazing. Um, Cause we talk about a lot about Worcester now as a gateway city. So it kind of, it's like mm-hmm. connected in that way. We hear a lot about Abby Kelly Foster because a lot of things are named after her, right? At the school. I remember when I was a kid, like I didn't understand that it was like a person. I just thought it was like a weird name for a school. <laughs> I know. Um, so many things yeah. that you grow up with when they're so close to you, <laughs> you never think to question. Yep. Um, can you tell us a little bit, just a little bit more about Abby Kelly Foster, who she was and what she did? Well, uh, she and her husband were very strong abolitionists. And so as much as they supported suffrage, they also were, were abolitionists and they used their home. It was really interesting as a manner to withhold taxes because since Abby Kelly Foster did not have the right to vote, they felt that they would use that as leverage against the city and withhold their taxes. That's amazing. So, <laughs> um, you know, they, they were an incredible, strong couple Um, She was known to have like a fiery tongue. And I guess um, when she presented at the first convention in Worcester. National convention was being held here in Worcester. And Abby attended that convention with no real goal of speaking. However, she became upset when many of the women were very well-dressed, very affluent, very selfish views. And there were no anti-slavery resolutions being offered. And she felt compelled to take the floor. And she stood up and she said, I did not rise up to make a speech. My life has been a speech. For 14 years, I've lived the cause in every aspect of my life. Bloody feet, sisters, have worn smooth the path you trod. The bloody feet speech became a metaphor for the women's rights movement, a reminder of all the female pioneers in the past who had made their way forward all from a modest Quaker background, quiet farm girl who believed that no one was free until everyone was free. And just a fearless and dedicated leader. Wow. And it's wild too, when you mentioned the pandemic and the amount of social change that happened, because right now I'm working with an education consultant and he keeps coming back to the idea of the pandemic mindset, the idea that all of this social change is happening right now because people are more open to shifting their lifestyle and making major changes in their beliefs more so than ever before because we're going through this global crisis. And it sounds like that was part of the the moment affecting change for women getting the right to vote as well. Now, Yafa, I'm so pumped to hear about all the stuff the city has planned. What do we have in store on the 26th? Oh, well, I'm glad you're excited because we're a little excited mixed with overwhelmed because it's such an <laughs> awesome set of programs, but also so many ideas. And it's um, a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that too. That piece is a big part of it because originally this is going to be a celebration on the common and mm-hmm. it was going to look like kind of a festival and a women's march and some of those celebrations, sort of like what we've had in the past, but this has been one of those opportunities where we have sort of a pandemic mindset around how can we make this different? And in a way, I think it's almost a more accessible program than what we had originally planned because it can be shared and rewatched. But in terms of the programming we have for August 26th specifically, that's going to be one of our feature events. And that will be featured on the city's 
Facebook account. That's where we'll go live and also on channel 192. We'll have a panel discussion with Senator Chandler. We're going to have several keynote greetings and welcomes. Anne has been really instrumental in our community reading piece that we've developed. So we have 19 different members of our community reading different historical and contemporary pieces from suffragists across the generations. Um, and then we also have some creative performers. So that's just for our evening one-hour program um, on August 26th. And then throughout the week, we have other events that are just planned by various committee members. And I think we have at least a list of five or six events programmed for that week, but I wouldn't even be surprised if more pop up in the next couple of days because we have a really awesome group of planners that we've been working with. We love Senator Chandler. We do. <laughs> Senator oh. President Emerita. I was I thinking that too. Show before. <laughs> yes. We're big fans. We're huge fans. And she's always encouraging Molly to run for office. <laughs> oh. Molly majored in political communications and she's got a real knack for this stuff. <laughs> but I'm curious, both of you on more of a personal level, you know, why is representation so important to you? And why did you get involved in this particular cause? So representation... Uh, you know, August 26, which is Women's Equality Day, was declared by Congress in 1973. And so it's a timely reminder of the impact that women voters have on elections. So really critical. I was a former math major, so like <laughs> this whole history thing, I've like embraced it over the past two years. So former Representative Bella Abzug, yes. who was a Democrat from New York, she introduced the idea of Women's Equality Day to Congress in 1971. And that was a time when she and other leaders were calling attention to like the lack of women's representation in politics. And that same year, she, she partnered with a group of activists, which included former Congresswoman uh, Shirley Chisholm and civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer to start the National Women's political caucus. And that was to increase women's participation in all areas of political and public life. And since that organization's inception, not only has the number of women in state legislators increased from 4.7% in 1971 to 28.9%, women's participation in the polls has increased as well. But I don't know about by what percent? I have a very important question for you. Did you watch Mrs. America this <laughs> I was spring on FX? It's pop culture. <laughs> so good. Um, you should watch it. So it's it was produced by FX. It's a it's like a limited series. So it's ten episodes where it sort of sets up the like the NWPC. So it's like got. Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug and all the women who are on that side. And then the other, and then it shows also just Phyllis Schlafly and everything that she was doing it and almost an equal measure. And it's very, I mean, it's artistically done. It's like beautifully shot, but it's a really, really cool recounting of those. It basically kind of spans from 1971 to 1980. So it goes right up to Reagan's election. And it's a really, really cool sort of just like look into that time, especially, I mean, for us, obviously we weren't there. Right. <laughs> so like, I, it's such a trip, but uh, I highly recommend that to anyone listening who's interested in that kind of period of time, because it also just takes that the seventies era too, and like contextualizes everything and how kind of cool and wild it was. One really interesting part that is portrayed in that show that did happen is that the 1972 
convention, the Democratic convention, Shirley Chisholm sort of felt brushed aside by her white counterparts in the National um, Women's Political Caucus. And I think that does mirror the attitudes of a lot of suffragists or suffragettes, right? So like um, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton would almost kind of sideline Black women in the fight for suffrage in a, in a similar way. It's like history repeating itself, right? Do you have any thoughts on like how we can, either of you, like reconcile that history of that fight with still celebrating now? That was something I think I'm glad you raised because it's been a question throughout the whole planning process. We've been meeting as a group, the Worcester Women's Suffrage Group, since January. And at the onset of our discussions, it was a question of like, are we celebrating this? Are we questioning it? What's our role in portraying what's happened and celebrating how we can move forward? Since we recognize the 19th Amendment wasn't the end-all be-all of women's right to vote, in our program, we kind of emphasized that there were many major acts and political steps that came afterwards that made voting more accessible and that it wasn't for years and generations and even today that voter engagement and disenfranchisement still continues. So it's not that we've come to this perfect place. But I think one of the things we were excited about is really indicating how much impact different people have had and celebrating voices. So we recognize different suffragists from across the spectrum of history and different perspectives. Um, And I think that was a really intentional choice that we made because we recognize this history isn't perfect and there's many milestones still to celebrate and improve upon. In Yaffa, in terms of your intent, I know my husband also works for the city and there are times when he inherits projects because he's a young go-getter and they're like, you can figure out how to recreate our website or whatever. And he's like teaching himself how to code. (laughs) And then there are other passion projects where he's like, I am going to be involved with the Worcester Red Sox because that is what I'm passionate about. Was this something that they handed to you because they were like, a young woman, this is her? Or was it something that you were already passionate about? I'm excited by that question also because I think it's a great one. Um, I know with our division, one of the things that's really awesome about the culture division now is we're really a team and collective in what we program and piece together. So we do make sure that we're planning for things that we're excited to be a part of and put forward. I don't think I could put a program together that I didn't believe in. So with this project, it's especially resonant with me. I find myself learning a ton because I realize I'm no expert in any of these pieces. It's amazing, if anything, how much I have learned. I feel like this program was for me because I needed this information. But I like this project and I'm excited about it. And I think it's really cool because we have a strong group of women that we're working with from the community. So it's been pretty empowering to meet all of these different people. And I also am grateful to Erin Williams, the cultural officer, because she's taken this on as a passion project as well. And speaking, too, of all the organizing groups who are involved, I wanted to hear more about the Advisory Committee on the Status of Women. I saw it in the press release you guys put out, and I was like, what is that? How do we join? Or, you know, how do we get involved? Um, What can you tell us about that particular committee? Sure. Yeah. So that's one of the city's advisory committees. Um, It is women-centric and women-run. Jaina Turchek from the city's or the Office of Human Rights and Disabilities chairs that committee. And they're programming an event on August 27th, which is the Women of Consequence Awards, which typically would take place in March, but this year was pandemic doubt. Um, (laughs) So now they're doing it on August 27th. And that's going to be a pre-recorded virtual event also. So they're going to share awardees, including Ethel. um, And there's the Young Women of Consequence. Our Youth Poet Laureate is participating also. So that's just another really awesome program that's happening the same week. 
And I think it's a great opportunity for people in the community to be involved. Um, we can't plug boards and commissions for the city enough because there are always vacancies and openings, but getting people to be a part of them and partake and realize they can actually serve the community is so important. I had the pleasure. Whoa, we got a thunderstorm going on here. I had the pleasure of interviewing Atel this week, and she is just this remarkable human. Um, her family escaped from Albania and moved to Greece. And then when she was 17, they found that there was a lot of trafficking of young women and girls going on in the region where they were living. And so her family left again, uprooted and started over another time. And that's how she ended up in Worcester at Clark. And man, has she made a huge difference in this community. And she's super involved right now in the intersection between the housing crisis and climate justice which I thought, was, and those are two things I don't often put together in my mind. Um, she's profiled tomorrow in Telegram and Gazette and Worcester Magazine, and I think everyone should take a moment to get to know her. That's awesome. She's actually one of our co-hosts for the Women's yes. Suffrage kickoff. Yeah, we wanted to include her in both events, so she is emceeing the night with Kim Salmon. Fabulous. We talked a little bit about progression in like voting rights and progression towards universal suffrage. Um, Sarah and I are very concerned about the post office. <laughs> I went yesterday <laughs> to mail a letter and it was closed and there's this scary sign on the door that was like new hours. And I was like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. Um, do you guys see that impacting people's ability to get their vote counted? I, I'd have to say that, you know, I have hope because in this morning's New York Times, there was an article that yesterday the postmaster general kind of did an about face and and stated that he would not suspend cost cutting measures and operational changes until after the November election and in order to uh, avoid the appearance of of an impact on election mail and you know, yeah when you think about those changes what that could mean you know by eliminating overtime for mail carriers or reducing um, post office hours or removing postal boxes. It's just like, I'm totally flabbergasted. So I, I have hope with, with this, this article that, and that this will hopefully indicate that, you know, voting by mail is going to be safe. And if you're going to vote by mail, just do it early. Yeah. Do it quick. I think that's what, that's what everyone's thinking. It is fascinating though, even now, people who are taking the forefront, someone like Stacey Abrams out of Georgia, who's established, you know, voting rights organizations and is trying to bring back, because so, we're not operating anymore under full protections of the Voting Rights Act, which is like insane. And so do you guys think either of you that there are any lessons to be learned from the past about moving forward as far as ensuring everyone has in the accessibility to get their vote counted? I think if anything, the past has proven that it's vital that people take a role in making sure that they're heard and that they're counted. And unfortunately, history has proven that oftentimes people can go unheard if they're not really vocal um, and taking collective action. If anything, I would say that the past kind of inspires us to realize like voting is such a privilege and such a right, and it can't be taken for granted or taken lightly by any means. And I know we see a lot of people who feel very disenfranchised we also see so many people who are leaders and activists in their community. And it's like a call to action. The past has inspired us to continue fighting. You have any thoughts, Anne? 
I, I just can only echo, you know, what <laughs> Yatha has said. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, we, what we have learned and, and what these suffragists, you know, lived through and many of them who fought for years and then didn't even see the right, you know, didn't weren't even access the right to vote that I, I just feel that we need to be responsible and, and, and just be active and, and vote to make a difference. Absolutely. I think it's also looking out for each other too. I think, you know, I personally am not a disenfranchised person as like a white woman in Massachusetts. And it's, I think it's taking up the cause of, you know, our sisters in the South or in other places where it is difficult to access voting and making sure that those people, they can get their vote counted, formerly incarcerated people, you know, and like have that right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, also, I, I, maybe speaking beyond voting, too, there are just so many ways to be engaged in your community and promote collective action. So not taking those items for granted, whether that's registering the census, being a part of boards and commissions, there's obviously lots of ways to get involved. So voting isn't the end all be all, especially for people under 18. Absolutely. I think like community mutual aid, especially right now, is really huge within a time of crisis like this, economically and socially. I think it's I think it's it really is just like we have to take care of each other, you know. My only other big question is I heard there's a Francis Perkins impersonator who will be performing and I want the deal. What is her performance like? What is she going to talk about? Will she be in costume? Okay. Um, yes, to almost all of the above. So just a little backstory. Um, Frances Perkins was born in 1882. She was raised in Worcester and she was a suffragist. She was a workers' rights advocate. And she was the first woman to hold a U.S. cabinet position um, as President Franklin D. Roosevelt's Secre Secretary of Labor between 1933 and 1945. She served um, as secretary for New York the New York Consumers League after graduating from Mount Holyoke College in 1902 and Columbia University in 1910. And she successfully lobbied the New York State Legislature for a bill limiting the work week for women and children. This is like amazing. Women and children to 54 hours a week. I mean, and, and she was active in the women's suffrage movement in New York City. She was a loyal supporter of President Roosevelt and a key player in writing the New Deal, which included um, minimum wage laws. Wow. So to learn more about Frances Perkins, uh, Worcester Historical Museum is presenting Madam Secretary Frances Perkins on Monday, August 24th, 7 p.m., a virtual presentation. This was written by and performed by our local Anne Marie Shea, who's been very active in the Worcester Women's History Project. And she will be in full costume. Um, we're rehearsing tomorrow night via Zoom. And um, it is part of what we're calling our pretty powerful program series that will lead up once again to the exhibit in April. That's very exciting. So I hope, you know, like fun. we've got 91 people signed up so far. So um, we're really, we're really excited. They've been, they've been great programs. Cool. I hope awesome. you can join them. Yeah. And we'll post this episode on Friday morning to give people some time to register and everything. Yes. And we'll, um, we'll make sure we like get all the, the dates and all the, all the info out for everything too. Is there anything you haven't had a chance to share yet that you would definitely want to appear in the episode? 
You know, when I read your website, it really struck me as quite remarkable as far as like and topical. And because I noticed on your homepage, it said something like your your episodes are dedicated to empowering female voices. And when I think about suffragists, like they were masters of empowering the female voice and they were brilliant when it came to promoting their cause. You know, they knocked on doors of neighbors to talk about voting rights. They went onto the streets and got on a soapbox and, and, you know, they, they created all of these like little novelty items like fans and playing cards and radiator cap games. Um, that, that were printed with votes for women and, and other similar slogans. And they made greeting cards and postcards and they participated in pageants and uh, plays. And they actually even appeared in silent movies and theater performances, all to promote votes for women. So when I, when I you know, saw your headliner on the webpage, I was thinking, wow, they're, <laughs> like, they're just a perfect you know, topic yeah. to explore. <laughs> Yes. Oh, we were in the right place. We were horrified. Oh my gosh. There's like big time thunder going on here. Um, We were horrified a few years ago when we started this. We were brought into the radio station. It was like a community radio station to talk about something. And I started to look at all the people who have news programming or talk radio programming in the city. And there were no shows hosted by women. And so we said, Let's do it. Yeah, like, <laughs> let's let's get a radio show. So this will air on ninety seven point nine all next week, but it'll also go up on Apple, um, on like iTunes and on Spotify. Yeah, and we always talk a little bit about pop culture at some point in the episode. We'll do that on our own. Talk about Cardi B, but I didn't know <laughs> if either of you have a recommendation to leave us with today, and it could be just a piece of pop culture that's really gotten you through quarantine. That's a tough one. I was getting, Miss America was the one that came to mind when we were thinking pop culture. So I don't think anything else specific comes up. I mean, I guess, you know, I, I was thinking about that, you know, the, the last um, question and, and I was, I was thinking about hidden figures because I think that that's really empowering for, for women. And before this, this filmed, which I think came out like December of 2016, mm-hmm. It was a fact that many people never even heard about the story before, and and that that that's a sad, true testament. Um, yeah, guilty. Yeah, right. Oh, you yeah, know yeah. That, that 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 how many times women and often women of color are kind of sidelined from our history books, and so um, it, it's just a it's a great movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I would second that. Molly, oh, the talk of the town. Cardi B. Cardi B <laughs> and Megan Thee Stallion. Talk of my town. So you've watched the video. Yes. It's like, it reminds me of anime meets yeah. fantasy um, meets like some sort of spooky reality horror show. Yes. It has <laughs> the vibes of that man. I'm checking his name right now who used to do the Steve Madden ads. He also directed Rihanna's S&M video. Steve Madden, the shoe company with the yes. big eyes. Yes, like and, all the he ads always had did these little figures with huge eyes. David LaChapelle. 
it it gives me like slight David LaChapelle vibes. He was very famous for he's like a photographer and vi- he he's done a lot of like commercials and music videos. Just like super colorful, like over the top, kind of like it's a lot of like in your face is the way I would describe it. In three words, David LaChapelle is in your face, and I feel like that was like the video reminded me of that a little bit. So, WAP stands for wet ass. That is, is that right? That's correct. <laughs> and one of the best exchanges I saw was a conservative woman who was like, well, if that's the way you describe yourself, then you should go see a doctor. And all these OBGYNs responded like, uh, if you don't right. have a WAP, you, you got issues. Yes, you, you should, should go, go see a doctor. Yes. Because that is a very healthy reaction to being yes. sexually stimulated. And it's not something that we should squander. Absolutely. There's... um. Actually, this doctor I love, Lou Ireland, L-U-U is how she spells her name, and she wrote a piece about it being like, like, no, like, this is right, this is like, this is cool, guys, like, correct. Um, And that, like, breaks, like, Ben Shapiro is a conservative commentator, blogger, slash, like, bedbug, you know, pest, he's a pest. But he said, I talked to my wife about this, and she's a doctor, and she told me that that's a sign of a medical condition. Oh, my Lord. And, all, and so then everyone was like, this is the greatest, to use a very online term, self-own, <laughs> that we've seen because everyone was like, oh, no, dude. Oh it's just God. not happening for you, baby. Maybe and then, she's not excited. Did he also call it the WAP? I believe so, yes. Well, then he also, he also did, a, he also, like, filmed a video of himself just, like, reading the lyrics. <laughs> and it's, like, and it's, like, a weird, like, bizarro reading rainbow where, like, as opposed to, like, the great warm feelings you get from, like, LeVar Burton reading books to you, you just feel, like, haunted by it. Um, You're like, this was not made for you, sir. Absolutely not. But the, the guests that they have, the cameos mm-hmm. in the video include Normani, Rosalia, Mulatto, Ruby Rose, and then the one that kicks it off is Kylie Jenner. Weird. And there's been a lot of like talk where they said, why is it that they decided to include Kylie Jenner mm-hmm. alongside all of these really talented performers? Like, what does Kylie Jenner have that dignifies her or makes her deserving of being in this incredible genre-defining moment? Yeah. What do you think? My thought on that is honestly, like, clearly... Like, I, I follow Cardi, I like Megan a lot too, but like, I follow Cardi B on, social, like, all social media. I watch, like, all of the, like, all the, like, IG, like, you know, the videos she does and all this stuff, and I, I like her a lot. I think she's really funny and smart, and I feel like she's also a very authentic and sincere person. She's not gonna do something just to do it. Um, so my feeling, honestly, is, like, if she likes Kylie and Kylie is her friend, then that's good enough for me, you know? I had heard that Kylie was super kind to Cardi B's kids at Kylie's child's, it's Stormy, right? Stormy, yes. At Stormy's like, birthday party. Yeah. And so Kylie throws this big bash for her toddler every year, and Cardi was there with her kids, and I guess the kids got the royal treatment, and Cardi was like, you know what, I want to repay the favor. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I think that's enough. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not particularly a fan of Kylie Jenner. I think that she's sort of obnoxious and I kind of her her and her family's uh pattern of like appropriation when it comes to especially like black women and women of color kind of bothers me but I think like I don't know if she's if she's like a kind person and she's been a friend to you why not I guess I hope <laughs> yeah I mean you know? I, I wanted there to be some deep explanation yes <laughs> because Cardi B is 
a brilliant figure with a deep historical she's mind. She's smart, yeah. And she's also somebody who was a sex worker and doesn't mind talking about that and owning that experience and using it to educate people. I just thought that there was going to be some, like, you know, unveiling of like her. Like a symbol. Yeah. Kind of symbolism. My big question, after watching it, yes. as a woman, yeah. did you feel empowered and excited or were you kind of turned off by the overt sexuality? I I felt the former. I but so the way I view it is sort of this way is like I am a fan of Cardi B and I think that if you go into it as a fan of hers you're going to like it because it's it's her type of it's a little raunchy and it's it's got a good I think she has a great sense of humor about herself and about like her career as a rapper and just like who she is as an entity and I think it kind of just falls into that so if you're if you're looking at her as just like Cardi B who knows what she's doing um and like including Megan Thee Stallion too, who's an incredibly talented rapper, who also I think has a pretty good sense of humor about like overtly sexual things. Um, I view it that way. I think that if I think that some people already have the thought of Cardi B as sort of a nuisance and like a sort of a dumb kind of slutty whatever type of person, and so I think it just depends how you come into it. Um, to me though, it's like important to frame it as like. Like, I feel like it's exciting and empowering, and I don't care what men think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I I think it's important to frame it as, like, I don't know that they do either, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, I have one thought, and it came from an interview I listened to with Rob Sheffield, who (laughs) I know I've mentioned as my favorite (laughs) writer from Rolling Stone. Um, He's been writing for them for 20 years. forever. And he's just, he's got a good sense of humor and he's got a real dad sentimentality to him. So for him to be talking about the song was kind of funny, just the juxtaposition. But he said, all right, let's get into the other biggest song of the summer, Harry Styles' Watermelon Watermelon Sugar, Sugar. which is also (laughs) about the same topic. Absolutely. Right? And it's like pretty explicit. If you've seen the video especially, I mean, they're not hiding behind any sort of metaphor there. Nope. They are telling you exactly what it is he's getting at. He's talking about pleasuring a woman and her reaction and her physical reaction and the way her body responds. And that's exactly what these two women are doing as well. Right. And Harry didn't face any kind of... I mean, people were like, oh, the video is kind of like... Edgy. Yeah. But right. It's very true. And I think this is a conversation like we've had before that... The, like, it's been in the discourse before where it's, like, people have talked about Beyonce in this way. We're like, oh, like, she wears leotards. Like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I just feel like frame, that's still framing it from, in the, in the perspective of a male gaze. And mm-hmm. I think, I do think that Cardi B derives pleasure from being sexual and sexualizing herself. And if that's something that she is interested in and proud of, then that's, like, fine. That's what she wants to do. Um, it reminds me of a few years ago, Beyonce had a tour where she called it like the Mrs. Carter tour mm-hmm. and people were like, yeah, no, you're Beyonce. Like, you know, you shouldn't do that. That's like demeaning to do your husband's name. But there were a lot of really interesting pieces about it that came from black women that were like, well, this is like a choice that she made. And she's just saying like, I'm proud to be my, I'm proud to be married to this person. I'm proud of my identity. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, I think it comes down to like the fact that women have agency, right? Yes. And forgive me, but it seems inherently flawed if Harry Styles is allowed to talk about my wet ass pussy 
and I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, so crazy that these women are being criticized absolutely. for talking about their own bodies in something that's very natural, Mr. Shapiro. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. He's a pest, I'm telling you guys. If you don't know him, don't look him up. You'll just be bothered. <laughs> so the next thing I want to mention, um, Apple Plus has not done me right. I haven't seen a lot of things on Apple Plus I enjoyed. I like the Beastie Boys documentary. Yep. I couldn't get into the morning show. But this week they released a documentary that was huge at Sundance mm-hmm. called Boys State. And it's about a, a camp that takes place in all 50 states every year. A lot of famous politicians and figures like Michael Jordan and Bill Clinton and Cory Booker. Bruce Springsteen? John Bruce Jovi. Springsteen? <laughs> the New Jersey caucus is crazy. They all attended it as boys. Um, so this documentary chronicles a thousand boys who attend. It's they're, in a specific summer, right? That they, yes. like one year that they're there. Yeah, it's two years ago, I believe. So I think it was 2018, the summer of 2018. So you've got a thousand teenage boys. They are like all 17 years old. And the reason that the filmmakers decided to create it was the year before, the boys who had been elected, because the whole thing is exercised as a mock election, they decided to secede from the United States. Oh my God. And it made national headlines. This was specifically the Texas camp, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. And so... I I feel like that's kind of like... Yeah, they did decide to secede. And the filmmakers decide to go in and they get some amazing dialogue with these boys for a few reasons i think Mm. number one they must be great at casting like they had screened a ton of boys and then picked out three superstars or whatever and those three end up not just because they were shooting them but because of the structures of the camp end up becoming leaders in the camp and they clearly could identify them straight on um one of them who is a double amputee gets the villain cut and it's very much edited Ooh, like the Real Housewives, like yeah, or something yeah. like it follows that reality <laughs> uh, show yep. format. But this kid, in retrospect now, and you can think about what you were like at age seventeen versus even a few years later, he went on the press tour and he's been able to self reflect so much, you know, about what he's done wrong. Yeah. Um, but the kids that emerge are really telling. One of them starts playing politics in the worst way where he comes out as pro-life when in actuality he's pro-choice. Oh, so he's just... Yeah. Wow. And you just see all these things unfold and it's hard to tell whether they're being teenage boys or politicians or both. But yeah, it's the best documentary I've seen all year. That sounds really cool. It's funny because Sarah had brought that up and I texted her. I was like, what's that on? And then I Googled it and I was like, Apple TV Plus, which Uh I don't have. (laughs) I gotta get my hands on it. Because there's one... There's like one or two other things that I did want to watch, but it did sound, so I did look into it and I was thinking how cool it sounded. And they even have, so it's like they take the thousand kids and they do elections for like the higher offices, but they do it at like city and county levels too. So there's like, there's also like people who can run for like city council and mayor. It's Mm -hmm. very interesting. I think that if I went to that camp, I would be like a city level person. Well, and there (laughs) are also people who emerge as the press. And there oh, are people cool. who emerge as campaign managers. What? Um, so you figure out, like, what... I'm interested in politics. That's yeah. ostensibly why I'm at this camp. And what is my role going to be? Am I a behind-the-scenes person? That's so, really interesting. Yeah, it was terrific. And I guess in most states there are girl state camps, which was obviously my first question. Yeah. Um, but it's fascinating. It's not too often that I've 
been a fly on the wall with a group of white southern Texan boys. Um, And it's not all white, but it is vastly a a white middle class Mm -hmm. campership. And so that also creates a lot of interesting conversations and opportunities. There's one liberal candidate who organized the March for Our Lives in Houston. And they go on his social media and find all the pictures, and they totally use that as a smear campaign. Right, because in Texas, it's like, mm-hmm. we, you know. And the other thing a different, is... A different place. Like, if you've ever been to summer camp, a lot of these kids are operating on two hours of sleep. So <laughs> as the week goes on, they just get more and more comfortable with the camera, where they're like, just Absolutely. saying whatever comes in their head. And some of the things, I'm like, how did you get them to see that on film? I would be very interested to see, like, a companion Girl State documentary. Mm-hmm. I would like to see how it's different. Yeah. If if it is different. Or if it, if, or if it like, like, I would love to see it in Texas still. I feel like that's, like, an important, like, control, right? Mm-hmm. But I would love to see if or how... The, the boys versus girls differ and if they do in any way and like I don't know I just think it would be a really fascinating like sociological study yes I heard I think it was Amanda Dobbins from The Ringer discussing what a girl state documentary would be like and she said either it would be super catty or they'd all be like really polite southern bells yes I'm imagining like when you're when you like see another drunk girl in the bathroom and you're like you look so pretty you look like so it's like a girl you don't know yes I feel so. like that could be it. I feel like they could all just get like high on their own like teen teen hormones and just be like, "We're girls." Uh, well, that, that would be a beautiful thing. It would be. Uh, my only other big one, Molly. You sent me a picture that yes. made me so happy. <laughs> I love to go to Truro on Cape Cod, and there was a picture of Jennifer Garner. She was with Bradley Cooper in yeah. Malibu. I thought maybe they were like in love or something, but no. they're just old friends. Yeah, they were on Alias together. That show seems to have produced like a lot of like serious longtime friendships. Cool. Um, but yeah, he was like her, like one of her colleagues on that show. And so I think that they've stayed really good friends, which I think that's so cute though. Like she went to the beach with her kids and him, yeah. right? Yeah, and the kids are wearing shirts from Cape Cod, from yeah. Truro. And I was like, oh my God, they got that at Jams, which is like the country store. <laughs> yes. I was like, I have the same one, but oh, I just so thought funny. it was neat. Um, that's like whenever I see people in those like Cape Cod things, I'm like, do you get that Cuffies? Yes, Cuffies. I'm sure that, pe- I'm sure that listeners will be like, yes, I have been to Cuffies. I bought 500 sweatshirts from there. Um, I did think that was really cute. Jennifer Garner actually, so Victor Garber played her father on that show. Mm-hmm. And when she married Ben Affleck, he married them. Victor Garber did in they like did it in some remote place and he was like one of three people there oh wow so I think like they got really close like that show got super tight-knit just as like I think they're all just like very close with each other which is very sweet any other pop culture items this week I just want to say that we have been talking a little bit about how part of what we are enjoying watching like in this time is shows that have like a very clear like pattern so like a lot like reality competition shows that are sort of the dulcet tones where you can like pick when you want to watch. And I have recently on Hulu just started putting on episodes of Say Yes to the Dress, like old ones. But if you're looking for something totally mindless and like mostly very sweet, <laughs> highly recommend. I've just been like putting on like while I'm doing other things. Um, but I felt like it added to that. It was in that sort of category of like, you know, you just know how it's going to go they're probably going to say yes to a dress, you know? <laughs> Sometimes there's going to be, like, a crazy person or two. It's great. But, we take uh, comfort in the pattern. <laughs> yes, I think it's, I think it's like, I think it's important to this time. But, yeah, I think that's my last thing I wanted to add. 
The only oh, the only other one was today Anne Hache, who briefly dated Ellen DeGeneres brief well, for like a little while in the nineties. They did an interview with her where she like kind of talked about Ellen, but in like a very kind of like funny abstract way. And she had this one line where everyone was kind of like, what does this mean? And so this is one of the, so she kind of basically said like, that was a beautiful time in my life. Like, you know, she doesn't really address like, okay, she's a good person or not. But then she says this, um, she's like, I haven't spoken to her in years. I'd listen to people who have. If I'm standing someplace and I don't like what's going on there and I stay there, it's my fault. So what are the actions that got me there and why can't I get out of it easily if that's not something that I want to be engaged in? Ellen is standing where she walks and that is hers to continue that journey. So to me, it sounds like what she's saying is that Ellen has like put herself in the position of like being at the forefront of a toxic workplace culture and she's put herself there. But then also um, it was on Vulture. And Justin Curto was like, this is a math problem. I don't know how to solve it. So it's like kind of funny. But then I, I like studied that quote because I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, let's parse this a yes. bit. Yeah. But I think that's what she was saying is like, I had a nice relationship with her, but it sounds like she's put herself in a situation that should be easier to get out of if you're not responsible for the, but some of the behaviors that have been brought up. I think, I don't know. Yeah, so if you had been a respectful person, you could get yourself out of this in a respectful way. But because you've shown so many people disrespect, it's very, very hard to resolve the situation. Yes, and I think it's interesting. Like, I think that, for instance, Kevin Hart is funny. Like, I enjoy watching him in movies, but, like, he's not the guy I would call and be like, Kevin Hart, can you back me up on this? Like, I'm a really nice person, man who, like, got canceled from the Oscars for telling really homophobic jokes. I don't know. He's like... He seems like a like a nice person, like a kind guy. And as I said, I think he's very funny. But he also has like gotten into some trouble with like his ex wives and ex wives and girlfriends or whatever. So I'm like, I don't know. He's not the like the one person that I'd be like, get Kevin Hart on the line. Yeah, I need an ally you know? here. Who would be your if you like needed someone like a famous, just like someone that you don't even know, but like a famous person to like speak to like who you are? What would you? I'm going to take a real easy out here and say Michelle Obama. Oh, that's a good one. The DNC, she just lifted my heart up. Mm -hmm. She also scared me because she said, if you think this is bad. Yeah. (laughs) But I think, oh, yeah, I think that that, I think the moment called for it. I think she, I think she has a very acute sense, maybe even more so than her husband, of, of context and time and, Mm -hmm. I don't know, presence of mind and whatever. But I think Um, her endorsement... Could be just the thing I'd need in just about any situation. (laughs) I was thinking of Alan Alda, the like the old guy who I love from MASH. I don't know if you guys know the TV show. She's in a lot of things, but like he's just so friendly. But he's also now become kind of famous for like for years he hosted PBS's Nova. And he does a lot of like media stuff about like the ways that humans communicate with each other. But he just seems like... The most, the kindest, most cherished man. People just love him. So I feel like if Alan Alda was like, she's a nice girl, I'd be like, I am Alan Alda. Michelle, Alan, (laughs) come on, pop it. Yes. Oh my God. Hashtag Alan Alda, come on, pop it. I'm on it. We're going to do it. Well, I've been Sarah. (laughs) I've been Molly. And this is Pop It.